John poses. He always makes it swing in Columbia. DaleWileyShow.com Do you love music? Do you know about the musical map of Missouri? Dallas Wayne, Chuck Berry, Dave Alvin, Robbie Folks, The Skeletons, The Ozark Mountain Daredevils, Uncle Tupelo, Wayne Carson, Nellie, Lou Whitney, Symptoms Morel, In City, Jeff City, St. Louis, St. Joe, Columbia, Buckle of the Bible Belt, the Studio on South Avenue in Springfield, 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 Missouri. Add the Missouri Music Podcast to your list of favorites. Lawyer, author, and Slewfoot Records label owner Dale Wiley takes you on a musical trip around Missouri while raising funds for Musical Map of Missouri, a nonprofit organization which will help ensure Missouri musicians affected by COVID-19. Visit MissouriMusicPodcast.com for more information. Tune in to the Missouri Music Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Reach the box office, please press 1. Hello? Hey, John. How are you, Dale? Well, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You're you're uh, uh, cutting out a little bit. Can you hear me all right? I hear you fine, man. Uh, okay. I'm talking to John Poses, and John is the executive director and the artistic director of the We Always Swing Jazz Series. Is that correct? That is correct. For better or for better or worse, Dale. <laughs> well, I know that it's better because I'm just such a fan of yours. And so let's first talk about how you started liking music. Well, uh, I learned, uh, or how should I say it? I took... Uh, Early in my childhood, um, I took classical uh, piano lessons and uh, uh, did that for about, I don't know, four or five years until I was, say, I don't know, 11, 12. And then, of course, like like everybody, I I got bit by and uh, decided I like rock and roll. So I switched to guitar and made a uh, failed attempt at uh, taking guitar lessons and playing <laughs> and playing guitar. Um, and I I would say I tried my hand at that until you know sort of my mid-teens, maybe fifteen, sixteen at the most, uh, before I recognized the fact that um, I didn't really have the uh, discipline that it takes to be a a full-time or a great musician. And I, and I quite frankly, also uh, kind of, um, I was, I was actually, which is very atypical of me, but I was quite shy and I did not like, (laughs) I did not like performing in front of people. I just did not enjoy. It gave me nothing but angst. And so the combination of of factors uh, resulted in my uh, personal musician odyssey uh, ending. On the right. on the other hand, on the other hand, I've always liked music, always loved music. And right. when I when I was in college, I ended up having a music minor, but not in the uh, practicum side, on the uh, th- theory side, and and research side um 
so you know, I've, my life in essence has music has always played, you know, an important part of my life. Well, and this was in New York, correct? Yes, I grew up in uh, Queens, New York, a mere ten minutes from our outgoing president. Okay. <laughs> Did you have any interaction with him, or not at all? I'm assuming no, 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 no interaction whatsoever. My mother was a full-time uh, public librarian for the city of New York, and the branch that she uh, worked at for most of her career was literally a stone's throw from the Trump childhood home that has now been that is now up for sale, Dale. In case you have three <laughs> three million lying around, I've got a few million here and there. You know who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so, how, how did yes. you then get to Columbia? Um, I always had a, a an interest in journalism, and I graduated with a communications degree from Emerson College in Boston and moved back to New York to try my hand at freelance writing, which uh, I did um, pretty unsuccessfully, really. Uh, it was essentially uh, the equivalent of cold calls. You know, I had no, I had no clips. I had no real experience. And I was trying to write articles for, you know, well-known publications. Um, and then... Somewhere along the line, I decided I wanted to, that it made the most sense to go to graduate school and get a master's in journalism. Hence, in August 1978, I made my way westward from New York City <laughs> to uh, the growing megalopolis of Columbia, Missouri, then, right. a, pop then a population of 61,000. Okay. And how was that experience? That was that was hard at first. Not so much, you know, changing from uh, a, obviously a major urban center to a relatively speaking in my life small town. That right. part that part really didn't phase me at all. It was journalism itself that uh was difficult for me uh at first because uh, I found a number of my classmates had uh, upwards of three or four years at newspapers and right. cert certainly knew the nuts and bolts of journalism and how to put a story together and interview people and get quotes and, you know, all, all of those things that you, you do as a uh, reporter. And I had none of that experience, and I felt, uh, very quickly, I felt as if I was, I had made a bad decision. Really? So yeah, I almost I came within a whisper of of just saying, you know, this was a good thought, but I don't think it's me. <laughs> but but I ended up, you know, I ended up obviously sticking it out, and ultimately, uh, I got my degree. Um, the University of Missouri. Uh, has a what they call their Washington reporting program, where you spend right. your last semester as a graduate student at at an MU 
uh, office, you know, with with just a handful of other students who chose to finish their degrees that way. And um, so I did that, and I I think that was a big lift for me because once I graduated and realized uh, I was able to put a story together and and like doing it, then I was pretty sure this is what I wanted wanted to do. So that launched my uh, freelance jazz, uh, freelance uh, writing career, as it were, along with teaching. I did teach part-time at MU for a year, and I also taught at the two other area schools here. Uh, I taught West, at Westminster College in Fulton. Uh, they didn't have a journalism department. They had an English department, and I oversaw the uh, – student newspaper and you know taught you know a journalism class and i also uh taught at lincoln university for a year in oh. jeff jeff city so uh that was kind of the start of my columbia career if you want to uh right. you know as a way to title it or whatever well why uh, did you choose to stay why did you what, choose to stay in columbia I think I think the I can almost sum it up in one word or two words let's say the community. <laughs> I unlike a lot of my classmates who got their degree and returned to wherever, you know, they grew up or they got went back to their jobs where wherever their jobs were or you know got jobs in different places around the country and moved I I stayed here during my time in journalism school. I got somewhat involved with the with the community, um, rather than just go to J school and split. Uh, I I became interested in Columbia and what was going on here. Uh, I discovered uh, a community radio station here, KOPN, yeah. which which I felt an immediate. Uh, um uh warmth toward because in New York there was a station or is a station called WBAI which in essence was one of the first such community radio stations uh in the country and I grew up uh being exposed to that because my parents listened to it and it was quote listener sponsored radio meaning right. people people this is this is long before NPR even existed so so when i got to columbia and i you know was checking out the radio stations and what was on the air lo and behold i you know i can't remember exactly what it was but the i heard the phrase listener sponsored radio in right. columbia and it immediately pulled me in. So I started volunteering at KOPN even while I was in journalism school and hosting uh, different programs, uh, eventually getting a slot to host a program and uh, ultimately having a variety of slots over a 10-year period. Uh, everything from uh, a free form format show that covered all kinds of music to a uh, show that was specifically jazz oriented 
So it was a great opportunity. It was a great skill set. And in fact, it is what led to my getting a position, the position at Lincoln University, because it was in their broadcast segment, not their print journalism segment. But I had the master's degree, so I qualified for the job, but I also had radio production skills by that point, so that's what got me that job. Well, of course, now we need to talk, we need to talk about jazz, and how did you first start liking jazz? Uh, well, that's, that's a kind of fun story, at least for me. <laughs> um, I After I graduated from, from Emerson in, in Boston in 75, I went back to New York, and I did not know, as I said, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I tried my hand at freelance writing, but I had never, at that point, I had never been to Europe, and I decided to uh, go to Europe. I had worked during college and um, saved some money, and I ended up going to Europe for about eight months in or nine months in 1976, which you know, really changed my uh, view of the world in the sense that your perspective totally changes. You realize, even to this day, how, quote-unquote, young America is relative to, you know, the architecture, you know, you name it, the the civilizations of of Europe. So so I ended up uh, in Switzerland as, as part of the trip, um, right at the time that the Montreux Jazz Festival was happening. Wow. And I, it was coincidental, uh, or half coincidental. I knew it was held, you know, June, July, and checked it out and then made my way to Switzerland. And um, in exchange for uh, helping to clean the grounds, uh, each the Montreux Jazz Festival being the oldest jazz festival in Europe, Um, It was large by then, and um, it was several days long by then. So the festival organizer offered uh, an opportunity, because the tickets were, even then, we're talking 1976, so, you know, we're talking, you know, 40-some-odd years ago, whatever, Um, whatever. so he offered myself and a few other people, you know, young people, uh, the opportunity to see the next night for free if you help clean up the grounds after the show. So so I did that for like five nights in a row. And so it was where I, I first saw, you know, so many, you know, in 1976, you, you know, right. there were a lot of jazz greats still were around. were were not only still around they were basically in their prime i right. mean i you know herbie hancock miles davis stan getz uh, sun ra i mean uh, just a host an array of you know ella fitzgerald you know sarah vaughn i mean one after the next after the next you know every night you know it's when jazz festivals were truly jazz festivals they, right. you know, they didn't. The economics were such that they were supported simply. There were enough people who wanted to see uh, jazz artists that jazz festivals were jazz festivals. Not right. they've obviously evolved 
mostly due to economics, into, you know, essentially multidiscipline or multi-genre, um, you know, festivals. You know, the rock and roll acts at jazz festivals. There's all kinds of acts that are not jazz at jazz festivals. Right. That's just that's just the way they have to do it to survive. So, so that was really when I I had recognized that my interest had moved from rock and roll uh, to jazz. It 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 for me it was a natural progression as somebody who had some knowledge of jazz theory and uh jazz and not jazz theory music theory right it, it was a natural progression for me the music i i felt like i had heard uh everything uh because i grew up in new york city and every major band played new york city so when i was in high school you know i saw um Jimi Hendrix, I saw Janis Joplin, I saw Cream, I saw the Grateful Dead, I saw the Jefferson Airplane, you know, I saw 10 years after, I saw Jethro Tull on their first American tour, Led, right. Zeppel Led Zeppelin on their first American tour. So I, I was able to see the full array of, quote, great, great rock artists. You know, I saw the Stones a number of times, you know, just you know cuz everybody obviously if they if anybody of those of that stature played the united states then obviously they would play new york you know right so i was able to see you know all all those bands plus you know dylan the band the doors i mean really wow. you know an array of of the full spectrum if you will of 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 of, of rock and of rock and roll. I mean, for the for the area of rock and roll that I was most interested in. For instance, I I was never into the like I never saw David Bowie. I could have seen him, but and in hindsight, you know, I probably should have, but it just didn't interest me at the time. So so uh, um, so anyway, so when '76 rolled around and I felt like the move toward jazz and impro improvised music was a natural progression for me. You know, it, it felt like it was different. It was more complex. It was more adventurous, um, you know, and, and to me, it, you know, to use the cliche, but, you know, it, I can't right now, I can't think of another way to, it just truly spoke to me. I mean, it just right. I instantly, I felt like, this is this is this this is the stuff you know this is the real deal so so that's how it started in 76 so by the time i came to columbia i was i was had you know i'd been following jazz for you know a good two or three years at that right. point and also i mean at some point i mean that becomes you know your primary focus mm -hmm. along with baseball but really primary Right. I mean, you know, on on the art, art side, yes. Uh it it really did and I was uh while I, you know, was doing jazz shows on KOPN and following jazz, uh, you know, I was still mainly into trying to make a go of it as a freelance writer. Right. And I and after I felt you know what I what I got as much out of MU uh, 
journalism school as anything was really two major pieces. One was you can't go to, through that program and not be able to put a story together. It's right. just it's a very practical nuts and bolts program. It's not even on the graduate level. It's not like you know you might envision seminars and you know um, sort of intellectual discussions about journalism theory and it, it, you know I mean and there was some of that which I I really enjoyed you know journalism based literature you know reading right. guys like Tom Wolfe and reading people who you know Hunter Thompson who wrote about campaigns and the so-called new journalism you know. Um, and I was very much into that and into magazine writing, sure. but so. But beyond that, um, the the other piece that MU did was MU was as Columbia University in New York is, and Northwestern in Chicago, and the other top tier journalism right. schools. They're wow. well connect, they're well connected, so inevitably you come across people who went to the school and you you can you know use it as entree say you know mention that you graduated the University of Missouri School right. of Jur Journalism and if somebody is an editor at a publication and they went there then they're going to they're going to have a natural you know not totally but it 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 helps you know the right. connection so you you know you're instantly connected and and you're instantly or eventually you you know how to put together a good a quality story and interview people so i did make a go of it and i was very fortunate i ended up uh writing being a feature writer a magazine writer and the areas that i mainly concentrated on was music specifically jazz and blues right. uh and, and selling pieces to magazines but uh as you know I have a love for baseball and right. <laughs> uh, uh it really I didn't had never planned on writing about it right. but a fr but a friend of mine who was a ho uh photography hobbyist and also a big baseball fan said you know you ought to try and cover major league baseball um right. uh, you know and his his initial reason was he said you know you know about you know about baseball and the other thing he says they the the publications probably pay better and he was <laughs> he was he was right on both fronts so i started you know inquiring coming up with ideas based you know baseball based ideas right. and and i was very fortunate i ended up writing several stories for several well-known publications and newspapers um and at the time the airline magazines were were pretty thick and they were you know very um they were they were still paying freelance writers pretty well and i did you know pieces for you know different national newspapers i you know for the new york times uh if i found a connection like i remember i wrote a piece for the seattle times on on phil bradley who was a two sports star oh, yeah. here here in columbia at mu but he ended up playing for the seattle mariners yeah. uh for years and um 
you know, he lived in Colombia, so I was able to interview him and do a story here in Colombia and right. sell it sell it to the Seattle Times, you know. Wow. So, you know, it made perfect sense for them to, you know, he was he was a star at the time and uh, you know, they bought the piece. So, it was that kind of using and and that was the other thing I realized even living in Colombia, which you would not think would be a good spot to be to cover major league baseball, but <laughs> two hours to the east and two hours to the west, you have right. two major league clubs, but it's not so much writing about the Cardinals or the Royals. It's, it's the fact that they're in different leagues and it mean it means players, every player from every team in that league at some point will visit St. Louis or Kansas city, which means right. If you would, if you think far enough in advance, and you look at a schedule, and you want to do a piece on somebody in the who plays for the Chicago White Sox, then you set up an interview while they're in while the White Sox show up in Kansas City. Right. So I I basically had access to uh, you know every major league ball player, every team. So so I did baseball for seriously, and it became my probably eclipsed music reporting at the time i i did it for about i don't know five years something like from 83 to 88 maybe something like that you know so that's that's how the you know uh and and you know i i did uh i did some music pieces though and i was well paid by certain publications that um that also you know were higher end publications so right. that's that's the journalism piece. <laughs> now, of course, I had to teach myself jazz, and I did not get off to a good start. I mm-hmm. started with some Coltrane that was way out there, and I mm-hmm. loved but at the time, it was not the right album to pick. And so where did you start teaching someone about jazz? Well, here's here's my thinking and remains so today. It's always okay. been my thought. You know, jazz is, you know, you're talking about now 120 years. It used to say jazz was 100 years at the turn of the century, but we're now at 2020. So it's 120 years and change that jazz comes into being. And it's such a vast subject now and and so many branches, if you will, and, and tributaries of jazz that it, if you say I I want to jump into jazz, it's a it's where you know a lot of people are intimidated by it. a lot of people yeah. don't know where to start a lot of people yeah yeah so my you know and 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 at one you know at some point that's where I was and I have always looked at it this way I have looked at jazz as you jump in where you where you are right. And it's a two-way kind of uh, street, if you will. You can go, and and you need to take both streets at different times. But you can either go, let's say, to the left, if you will, from the point you're standing, which would be the historical look. You start going back further, 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 and you look at, you know, jazz's beginnings and the 20s and you know, 30s, big band era, whatever, et cetera. And then at the same time, 
you where you jumped in the beauty of jazz is it it's oh it's dynamic it's fluid it's always moving forward right. and so so you have to you have to reconcile and make peace with the fact that it's going to move forward so if you stay stuck in time in a right. in a, in a, in a, a no in a particular era which all of us tend to like the music best that we grew up with that's sure. That's the way it has always worked. You know, my parents liked big band music and the early folk people, you know, and and uh and you know, the likes of that, Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, et cetera. Sure. But you know, uh if you don't if you don't move forward you're gonna be in essence left behind. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to particularly in jazz, you have to recognize that that's that's you have a choice to either, you know, be op- bring your ears as I tell people because, <laughs> you know, I mean, jazz is uh, the reason it's a niche music and still is and always has been, not always, but you know because it predates a lot of the other music. So so it used to be quote unquote popular music. I mean, it's what people heard on the radio. It's what people learn you know just it was it was live everywhere etc i mean so so you have to be willing to uh um go forwards and backwards basically simultaneously and right. here is here is the metaphor i sometimes use okay remember when you were growing up because we have climate change and we don't have big snowstorms anymore right. yes. but but remember when you're growing up, and uh, at least I do, and you would uh, step out of your house in the fresh snow, and you would look to, say, shovel a pathway. Right. And when you started, there was no – it was – let's say it's a deep snow. It's hard to even find the pathway. Right. Sure. Okay. But then, you know, your shovel hits cement or whatever and you and you take your first shovel full. And right. and the way you you shovel snow is you go forward and you go backward. Right. And you gradually carve out the path. And you know, you gradually take your shovel and uh, walk the length of the path to clean it up, so to speak, you know, to, to make it look nice as it were, right. you know? So to me, that's what jazz is. You got to just put your shovel in the snow and, <laughs> and you go forward and you go back. And here's the, here's the other piece of, of jazz, the, the other kind of metaphor that I look for. You had mentioned you got into Coltrane and it was, it was fairly far out in Coltrane. Coltrane's uh, large, you know, later works, you know, yeah, where exactly. where he uh, was more dense and more experimental and right. and more and more adventurous. Right. But the way I also look at jazz is like a tunnel, and you start at the beginning of the tunnel, wherever it is that you jump in, and you keep moving forward in the tunnel, and when you look back. Um, the the tunnel, it, it, it's it's a clear vision, but right. going forward, it's not necessarily 
such a clear vision. You may not know how the, if the tunnel's going to curve or whatever. <laughs> but once you've gone once you've gone through part of the tunnel, you know you understand what's behind you much more easily than you understand right. what's ahead of you. Yeah. And that too, what jazz is about is bending your ears. And once you start with something and you continue to move forward, you know, at first, wherever you started may not make sense to you. You know, a lot of people over the years have told me, um, I can't find the melody. I can't tap my toe right. to it. I don't under I don't understand it. I I it's it sounds like noise to me. Uh you know, all these kinds of things and I'm not being critical of those people. That's what they're hearing. Right. But but if you listen to it enough and you continue on the on the voyage or the trip at some point it will click in not the music you're listening to at that very moment, but you will go back and listen to what you didn't understand earlier, and all of a sudden, it's like the light goes on. All of a sudden, it makes perfect sense. All of a sudden, you can hear the melody. All of a sudden, you understand what the musicians are doing. And I know that has happened through the jazz series. It's one of the more rewarding pieces of the jazz series that we have... Um, I believe impacted many, many people Entirely. in terms of, in terms of increasing, you know, increasing their awareness of jazz, increasing Entirely. their their appreciation for it, their understanding of it, um, and so you know that's very satisfying. So, but jazz is a uh, a progression. If if you're a person that allows yourself to be open. If you quote bring your ears to an event, you may not may not understand it the first time. You may not right. even like like it. You yeah. you know, it's it's an it is an acquired taste literally, but if you allow yourself that openness, I guarantee you at some point all of a sudden it'll be like boom, you know, it it'll hit you and and say this is this is fun, you know. This is entertaining. This yes. is, and then you're dealing with, um, you know, as, as an aside, you're dealing with some of the greatest musicians on the planet, regardless of what the music they're playing. I mean, these are highly, highly talented people that you know uh, they may only make literally less than pennies on the dollar compared to you know, a, a major rock band or rock right. star, but but their their skill set their skill set is is second to none. You know, um so uh that's kinda I use I use the snowstorm, the tunnel and the idea of allowing yourself to go back and forward almost simultaneously. Right. And you have to be open. You have to be open to that because if you're not open to that, then you know you hear something you don't like, and you say, you know, I have people still come up to me and say, I hate jazz. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and that's that to me is a very difficult, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very difficult, say, it's almost impossible to reach that person. Sure. You know, it's like it's like somebody saying, 
I hate red or I hate, you know, you know, uh, something very broad that, you know, what do you mean you hate red? What do you mean you hate, you know, I hate TV. What does that mean? You know, Uh, so, you know, uh, um, so or I hate books, you know, I mean, what is what does that mean? So if somebody says something that makes such a blanket statement, it's very difficult if they're not willing to come come off of that stance to, uh, you know, to reach them. Right. So. But at the same time, I'm just so impressed with what you've done in Columbia for jazz. It's a major impact. Yeah, you know, this is our 26th year. Of course, this year with the pandemic is entirely right. entirely different right. and very <laughs> and ve- very challenging. Um we, you know, I mean, you know, jazz is about bringing people together. Jazz is about multiracial, you know, being uh, you know, jazz is about harmony and and uniting people and it's uh antithesis to a pandemic, you know, live right. concerts, regardless of the music, you know, the genre, live concerts are, you know, on on hold, on permanent hold until, right. you know, we, we get to the other side of this thing, you know. So right. so in that sense, running a nonprofit, um, it's, it is extremely challenging. Um, right. You know, we're, we're in the middle of a, a major fundraising campaign. Right. Can I plug can I plug the campaign? Absolutely, plug away. <laughs> okay. So so the jazz series is part of a uh multi-county uh campaign involving nonprofits of all kinds. Right. You know, so, social services, human services, uh as well as the arts, you know, all the disciplines. So it's called Como Gives, as in Columbia, Missouri Gives, but it's actually, there are seven, I believe, seven or eight counties in the central Missouri region that partic- that are, are involved. And and it's run by uh, a nonprofit, but uh, a startup known as the uh, Community Foundation of Central oh. Missouri. Okay. And And, you know, it's like, a lot of cities have their own foundations. There's a Kansas City Foundation, right. there's a St. Louis Foundation, et cetera. This one covers, like I said, seven, eight counties in central Missouri, and they administer in December uh, a uh, a campaign for all the nonprofits, no matter for essentially for the nonprofit sector, if you will. So there's 140 something organizations participating and it's it's an excuse me it's on an it's an online only campaign the idea of getting people and it's very simple to contribute you every every organization has its own page on the como gives web website and for people who want to contribute to the jazz series it's just you 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 can there are pull down menus you look up we always swing jazz series you get to our page and you can make a donation. The minimum donation is only ten dollars, so okay. it's it's not like you got to contribute gobs of money to contribute. Right. Sure. So, 
And our campaign this year, actually, which impacts all of your listeners, right? We de- we decided that we would run a campaign this year called "States United Through Jazz." Okay. Meaning, uh, it's a play on the words, obviously, but instead of having in this election year having red states and blue states, right? We we came up with a map or a map of the United States and also a map of Missouri by county. Wow. And and the idea is people we want to bridge we want to use the jazz series to bridge people together, you know, to unite people. Right. So as people contribute from a different state or a different Missouri county, that particular state or county begins to turn shades of green. Right. <laughs> and so and our web guide built it in so there's at least seven shades of green. So anytime <clears throat> what county are you in? I'm sorry, I don't know. Stone County. What county? Stone County. Oh, Stone So if somebody from Stone County uh contributes to the jazz series, that county will start to turn green. And as more people contribute from that county, regardless of the amount, I mean, if one person contributes $1,000, it turns one shade of green. If one person contributes $10, it will turn the same shade of green, unless it's the second contribution right. from that that county, then it turns, dark, you know, slightly darker. So if you if you go to the Jazz Series website, uh, not not the Como Gives page, but right. our actual website, which is wealwaysswing.org. You can click. There's a well, one click through, and you will, as we like to tell people, see the maps. And right, right now, we're you know this is a month long campaign. So today is December 12th, day 12. So so far, we have received at least one contribution from 21 or 22 states. Wow. Which is pr- which is pretty good. Last year we did it. Last year we did it. We got to 33 states. We're hoping, obviously, to surpass that. Um, and as far as the counties are concerned, uh, ironically, it's been a little bit uh, tougher sledding to to get counties to contribute. Right. But of course, of course, Dale, I know you will once we hang on. I sure will. <laughs> no doubt. So, so so anyway, we I think we're up to nine or ten of Missouri's 114 counties. Okay. So so, but you know, uh, if you go to our website, you'll see the maps. And uh, the reason we do it also, it, we have donor tickers that are like stock market tickers, one for the right. states and one for the counties. So when somebody donates their their amount, they're not, we don't use names. So you know, we use dates when they contributed and and uh, where they contributed from and the amount that was contributed right. and it's like a scroll like the weather scroll or a, a you know a stock ticker so right. we try to have fun so the maps are interactive as are the the donor tickers and you can hover over the states and the counties and you can see how many people have given a total of how many, how much money in a given state or a given county so right. so we try to make the campaign fun and we send out emails 
uh, every day updating the maps, updating, uh, you know, the the campaign. Um, and, you know, we're about halfway to our goal, which is 62,000. We've raised 31 or 2,000. So we're literally pretty much right at the halfway mark. Wow. Um, so that's, you know, it started on the 1st. And it goes till New Year's Eve at midnight when the faucet turns off, so to speak, you know, and they right. they kill the web page or the website. So uh, I I hope some of your listeners will um, contribute. And again, yeah. the and if people want to, we really like it. Aside from contributing, if you can't contribute, that's fine. But people, we like people to sign up for our email list. And if if they go to our website right on the home page, there's a spot where people can can you know sign up. And if they go to weallwaysswing.org, there's a spot on the home page where it says sign up for our email. Right. Uh, and we want to encourage people to do that. So uh, so that's that's the We Always Swing Jazz series. Our our mission is simply to uh, present, promote preserve, and celebrate the great global art of jazz. That's, right. that's that's it in a nutshell. And we've been very fortunate. As I said, this is the 26th year. Uh, we've probably had 300-plus concerts uh, featuring the world's greatest great artists. Oh. You know, Dave Brubeck's been here. Herbie Hancock's been here. Right. Pat Metheny's been here. What's that? All the good ones, all the live good ones have been there. Yeah, you know, not everyone, but a lot of them. You know, and 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 we have a, and the 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 other thing that we feel good about is, even though we're located, uh, you know, in a relatively small market, and Columbia has more than doubled since I got here. Right. Uh, um, you know, people around the country know about the jazz series, and there's two reasons. There's two reasons for that. One is good and one is not so good. Okay. One the 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 good one is because people have heard of us over twenty. We've had staying power, and right. because because jazz is not, uh, you know, not not in every town. Unlike let's say rock and roll, which is in every town. Right. Um, then so so by default, um, people have heard of the jazz series on on the east coast and the west coast you know everywhere um and so that's very rewarding obviously and they consider it a quality project the 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 ba the downside of it is the fact that the truth be told there's not enough of us in the country there's not like you can't go to every college town right and and have a a serious jazz program. You can go to every college town, and you will find a pretty good rock scene, a pretty good rock venue, you know, et cetera. Right. So if you're in a rock and roll band, you can crisscross this country forever almost. Right. And but if you're a jazz artist, there's only so many opportunities to do that. And so that's the downside. We are known in part because of our staying power, but we're also known in part because we're we're respected within the field for being a, a good presenter. 
you know, right. uh, a respectful presenter, uh, a serious presenter. So it's yeah. kind of a double-edged sword is what it is. So Well, that's so fun. And, again, I think that all you've done, you're such a good arts curator. You Just the way you present it is amazing. Well, but now well, let's talk about my project, the Musical okay. Map of Missouri. And okay. So give me some names. What's that? The Musical Map of Missouri. Who are some names that people need to know about jazz and Missouri? In Missouri, okay. Well, we just did a fall a project in the fall, one concert a month, featuring uh, regional artists, and okay. we will prop because of the pandemic. Nobody's really traveling by air. Nobody's sure. really really touring. So we decided we would do either a combination of live streams, uh, pre-produced streams that we would then air or in person with very limited attendance socially okay. distanced adhering right. to all the all the guidelines but also live streaming it so we did that last version in, in with four shows where we had all of 36 people allowed to attend okay. um, and and we we uh, we featured uh, a group uh, uh, a, a wonderful guitarist from St. Louis, Eric Slaughter, who okay. actually brought brought with him a drummer named Marty Morrison, who is based in Springfield, okay. um, and an organ player uh, was also in the group. He was actually from Omaha, Nebraska. But again, these are regional artists that can you know come in and and leave this the same day. You know they're not on tour. We right. also f featured a wonderful uh, younger baritone saxophonist out of Kansas City, a woman named Ariana Nemati, N-E-M-A-T-I. Okay. A and uh, she uh, um, attended both MU and UMKC, and she wow. had a quart quartet, and the quartet consisted of a pianist I was unfamiliar with, but very good from Kansas City. I believe his name was Brad Ward, W-A-R-D. I think. Okay. Don't don't hold me to that. But I know the other two. <laughs> the other two members of the band were um, the drummer was a gentleman by the name of Brian Stever, S-T-E-E-V-E-R, and he grew up in Jeff City and lives in Kansas City now, and he's a very good drummer, and the bassist. Uh, actually came to MU to study jazz music, uh, music and jazz in, through MU, named Sam Copeland, and he now lives in Kansas City, and he went through the UMKC uh, um, program there. So he grew up in Columbia. So he re it was a homecoming for him of sorts, and wow. Brian and Brian Stever lived in Jeff grew up in Jefferson City, even though he's in Kansas City. So again, we we did this regional. There are a great many artists, and I'm not talking about people who were born in St. Louis or born in Missouri and right. no longer no longer live here. We're talking right. about there is there is a very good regional scene in Missouri and then in as well as the surrounding states. But um uh you know Columbia itself has uh some uh, a pretty good local jazz scene with uh the Hennessy brothers uh being one, 
Sean Hennessy is a very good guitar player. Kevin, his brother, is a bassist. Um, a, a gentleman by the name of Tony Lotvin, L-O-T-V-E-N, is a saxophonist and flute player. Um, I guess our most or best-known local player here is a pianist by the name of Tom Andes, right. who, is, who has been playing, you know, he's a Berkeley... Yeah, he's a Berkeley School of College of Music graduate and, right. you know, came back to Missouri to raise his family and live in Springfield. The program at uh, the university there is right. run by a really good alto saxophonist named Randy Hamm. Yes. And, and, and you know, uh, so they're, they're just... Uh, you know, in the in the world of jazz, as we like to say, and and really it, it 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 pertains to any quote celebrity uh kind of status, if you will, or or standing. Everybody is from somewhere, you know. I mean, it you don't you don't grow up in New York and become a, you know, like most of the New York jazz musicians are who then go on as a springboard, go on to become internationally known most of them arrived to new york from somewhere else you know yeah. it's not like they're native i mean that's been the history of jazz i mean louis armstrong's from new orleans you know right. and and count basie is from you know kansas city and right. and duke ellington was from washington dc and uh you know on and on and on and and just new york became the epicenter right and still is of jazz but you know, uh, Pat Metheny is from Kansas City. You know, right, exactly. you know, you know. Um, I should mention that really one of the great saxophonists of the last forty years has returned to Kansas City, and that's uh, Bobby Watson, who had okay. gone to the gone to the University of Miami, then went to New York and played for twenty five years, used New York as the base to play with Art Blakey, to play with, you know, you name it, and to right. lead his lead his own bands. And then he was asked to return to UMKC to return to to uh, run the, the jazz studies program there in two, starting in 2000. And he did that for 20 years. He has just retired, and, and um, uh, he stayed – he stayed in Kansas City. So here we have one of the preeminent jazz artists over the last 40 years living in Kansas City or right. I guess I guess he's right on the Kansas side of Kansas City. Uh -huh. So uh so you know there the 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 musical map uh the jazz musical map specifically uh in Missouri is 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 pretty healthy actually. You know, well, and that's very, that's also very satisfying. Um, you know, as far as the jazz series is concerned, I like to think that, you know, we have we've had something to do with it, or we certainly have augmented it. You know, um, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but it's really, you know, if we can serve the jazz community as a you know, a catalyst and a point of contact and et cetera, then, uh, you know, that's, again, very satisfying. Well, and specifically, in thinking about this, I so remember 
seeing Claude Fiddler, Fiddler Williams in, in your shows. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, and uh, you know, he's no longer with us, but right. um, but you know, yeah. I mean, uh, we we've had you know uh, people like that and. Uh, you know, historically great musicians uh, coming here uh, from Kansas City or St. Louis or, you know, wherever. So, I mean, the point is, if you're a good player, you're a good player. If you're, you know, and like I say, everybody's from somewhere, you know. It's not like you have to be born in Chicago, New York, L.A., San Francisco. You don't have to come from a big city. You know, right. you know, you have to, what you do is have to have talent, you know, right. and, and that's, that's the, that's the common denominator with all the players. Well, so, my one question for you is, would yes. you represent Kansas City with Cal Basie or Bird? Well, I don't think it's an either or. There's so many uh, great, I mean, you know, there's so many great musicians that, uh, you know, Kansas City was home to Jay McShann. Kansas City was home to Bird. Kansas City was right. home to Basie. Lester Young, Coleman Hawkins right. was from St. Joe. Right. I mean, you know, there's so many. I mean, Kansas City was this burgeoning, you know, one of the true centers during, right. you know, during the 30s. For Mary Lou Williams, the great pianist, spent a great deal of time in Kansas City um, before she left. I mean, so it, to me, it's not an either or, you know. Right. I mean, there's there's probably twenty to thirty historically significant figures who are Kansas City natives. There may be more right. too, I you know, but I know there's at least that many. So, yeah. you know, it's you know, it's not so much who's better than whom, you know. You know, a lot of times jazz gets caught up on polls, like who's the best this right. or that or whatever. And I've never been a big fan of polls. I've been asked to part- participate in them uh, for any number of years, uh, dating to, like, my writing days. You know, a lot of writers end up, you know, being part of polls. And I have all but I, – I can't remember the last poll I participated in because I think to say there, there are only five great saxophonists is – Right. Is, ludicrous, is is ludicrous, you know? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just ridiculous. It's a, it's in essence, it's a popularity contest, and, right. and so what, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, I just, it's not my, it's not where I I get much satisfaction. Right, so. I totally get that. So but that's why it's so fun to talk to you, and why it's so fun talking to you. I enjoyed it very much. Well, Dale, I, I appreciate the invitation. Yes. Uh, I know your thousands upon thousands of listeners will yes. will will head right away to Como Gives C O M O G I V E S dot com and and contribute to the jazz series. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> and we will we will thank thank them profusely for doing yes. so. And of course, Dale, if you're, you know, if 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 once, please have your listeners truly sign up for our email. We send out a weekly e, what we call our e note normally, but in December we do it daily because of the fundraising campaign. 
Right. So uh, anybody who wants to sign up and learn more about the Jazz Series, and if people are visiting Columbia, we have a really nice downtown space uh, right in the heart of Columbia uh, on 10th Street, and we have a 9,000-plus CDLP collection that's open to the public um, and a library, you know, a, a literature library filled with magazines and books on jazz, and it's where our box office is. And, of course, we have the proverbial uh, merch available to people. Right. <laughs> no doubt. Thank you so much. Yeah, Dale, thank you for the invite, and I enjoyed talking with you, and I hope, uh, you know, people got something from it. And uh, anybody who who wishes to contact us, again, the email is info, I-N-F-O, at we always, like all the time, always swing.org. So there's two S's there, always and swing.org. Thank you okay? Thank you, Dale. Bye. Now, I'll cut up there, but I guess I'm going to ask you, do you know anything about the Google Grant? Uh, the Google Grant yes. for, for... Basically, any nonprofit is eligible to apply for a Google Grant. Mm. Do you know how much they are? There are what? Year. What is that? 120000 of free advertising a year. Ah. I'm just okay. Telling, it's this incredible project that nobody knows about. It's so right. Cool. And you guys would be perfect for one. Well, I'll I'll look it up for sure. Yes, you should because it it's just an amazing project that your organization will be so good for. All right. I appreciate yeah. the tip. Yes, absolutely. Well, We'll check into it. Oh, yes. I'll talk to you later. But thank you All right. So yeah, All right. Dale. Thank you very much. And, and be safe. Be well. And uh, I hope the recovery keeps happening. It sure is. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.